If you're ever needing something to praise the Lord for, go back to the cross. And it'll always bring that spirit of praise back to you, or it ought to. And if it doesn't, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you would. Psalm 64 this evening is where we find ourselves. Another Psalm of David tonight. And uh, this Psalm has been described by many as the poisonous tongue Psalm. Uh, As you walk through this passage of Scripture, you're going to begin to see what has been a theme in David's life as he is uh, dealing with situations of enemies, of those who uh, do not like him, those who uh, are after him, those who are talking about him. And it begins to deal with the tongue in the midst of this psalm. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in verse number 4, that they may shock the the, the, the shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. And both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. Verse number seven, the Bible says, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. So it begins to deal with the tongue. The background of this psalm, as a matter of fact, uh, begins to lay some groundwork concerning what is taking place in in David's life. And as you go back and you go all the way back to uh, the battle of Goliath and David and Goliath there and what was taking place, all of what would go on afterwards is a result in the life of Saul and David, the battle there rather, or the envy there, the lying there, the believing of the lies, the believing of what is uh, not to be true in David's life concerning Saul. And he believed all this. He talked himself into believing it. And so as you go and you walk through the life of David, you'll begin to realize that there were some that were friends at one point in time that now were foes in David's life. Some of his friends had betrayed him and joined Team Saul. And some of them were looking at uh, David's life and now were envious of all that David had. I mean, he had a a, a young lady that many, as a matter of fact, would no doubt probably be after the king's daughter. And so there was a lot that were envying and were uh, angry and were following after Saul in the spirit of Saul's anger. And so as you walk through this passage of Scripture, you're going to begin to realize in verse number 3 as he uses that statement, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. Let me say this tonight as we walk through this passage of Scripture, one of the most dangerous things we'll begin to realize in the Christian life is that spirit of bitterness and that spirit of envying, that spirit of lying, if you would, of the jealousy. And you know the jealousy that Saul had towards David. You know all of the the envying and you know all of the lies that were told and you know all the lies that were believed. As a matter of fact, we're going to touch on those here in a few minutes of those that at one point in time were close to David, but now we're lying about David. Those who were once friends of David, but now were enemies of David because they had made a choice to say, forget David, we're going to join Saul. Why? Because of the envying within their heart. The Bible has a lot to say about the tongue and envying. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 11, rather 12, verse 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise 
is health. James 3, 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. James 3, 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Whenever I was in elementary school, and probably every single one of us at one point in time of our lives as children had said this at one point in time, but I remember in elementary school, and there was always a, a, a group of boys that always would be kind of together, and there was always that, that one boy that was trying to impress that one little girl. Whether you're in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, in middle school, high school. And I remember there would be times whenever that young lady would say something to one of our friends, or sometimes it would even be said to me if I was trying to impress one of the, the girls in elementary school or middle school, and she would say something, and the very next thing that would come out of my, our mouths would be, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt, right? Because we want to look cool. We want to make sure, hey, what you just said, it doesn't even faze me. But here's the reality of life. Words do hurt. Well, as a matter of fact, words hurt than stones. They hurt more than the stones that are thrown at us and they begin to, to seep in. You begin to think on them. You begin to, to lose sleep over them sometimes. Words do hurt. You can imagine many sleepless nights that David had because of the things that were said about him. You can imagine many of the sleepless nights that David experienced because the things that he knew were being said, but he didn't know exactly what was being said. He even would find out some of the lies of some of his friends that had told on him that were not true. Imagine this as he is beginning to share all of what is in his heart and what is taking place in this situation. In James chapter number 3, you also see in verse number 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Galatians 5, 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another. Notice these last words, envying one another. Envying one another, beginning to be jealous of one another's lives or the lifestyles or the things that people have is a very dangerous road to go down. I remember being taught as a young child whenever we were growing up. I remember at the time my stepfather was working for Wonder Bread, and he was also a reserve military soldier. And so he would travel over to uh, the military base every once in a while, once a month or so, and he would do uh, his duties in the military. And then he would also just work a full-time job as a Wonder Bread delivery driver. And at the time, it wasn't like we were living this very luxurious life or anything like that. And there would be times, as children do, where we would begin to ask questions or we would begin to gripe about what we don't have. And I remember being a child and my parents teaching me the very important lesson of being grateful for what you do have, appreciating the life that you do have, appreciating all of the blessings that you have. And as I began to grow up and as I began to get into my teenage years and even my college years, those were lessons that I valued more than any of the other uh, activities that sometimes I always wanted to do or all of the games that I thought I needed or all of the gadgets or all of the toys. I didn't need all of those things. I thought I did, and oftentimes I was envious of my friends that had them. But I'm thankful for the life lessons my parents taught me to make sure that I was not a child that was growing up being so jealous of what my friends and what everyone else had. It began to teach me as I studied God's Word that the Lord gives us exactly what we need when we need it, and He takes care of His children. We're not lacking tonight. But as you walk through this passage of Scripture, you'll begin to realize concerning the, the background here that Saul's ears were filled with lies about David. 
One of the very first things that I did as soon as I started uh, pastoring and as soon as I got into the ministry and I made a decision that no matter what anyone has to say about another preacher or another uh, pastor somewhere else or if I go to a conference or whatever the case might be that I don't want to listen to any gossip about another man of God. I want to come up with my own conclusion of how I uh, interpret his lifestyle or how I interpret his pastor or one of those things. I don't want to be a critical preacher. I don't want to be a critical pastor. I don't want to look at other pastors. I don't want to look at other Christians. I don't want to look at them and say, hey, so-and-so said this about you, so I'm going to write you off. No, I don't want to have that spirit about me. So I made a very conscious effort to make sure that I always allowed myself to not feed into what other people have to say. Because I realized in, in, in my college years that sometimes another person is not a bad person, but let's be real for just a moment. Personalities clash every once in a while. And personality is no reason for me to dislike someone. As a matter of fact, I don't have a reason to dislike someone. The Word of God teaches us that we ought to love everyone. And that's a struggle that we all face. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago in our Sunday school class, we were dealing with that one subject. So imagine for just a moment David as David is being hated and how he is trying to be careful with his words. He's being careful with his actions and he is making sure that he is doing something that would honor the Lord. And now he is put in a situation where he knows that Saul has heard all these lies and he's bought into these lies. Now you think about some individuals. Doeg the Edomite was one who did a lot of harm with his tongue. As you go and you study the pastor scripture, you can't imagine the harm that he did. And not even Jonathan could come to his defense in this situation. And so Doeg, the Edomite, was one who used his tongue for wrongdoing. Saul was very suspicious of things, and he allowed the words of others, he allowed the lies of others to creep in, and he began to believe those, and he began to hate David even the more. So David begins to pour out his heart in this passage of Scripture this evening that we begin to see. David lays it all out there. In the very first three verses, we see much of what is on his heart, really the first two, because in verse number three, he begins to dive into the enemy here. But notice, if you would, two things that we see in this passage of Scripture this evening. Number one, we see David's plea here. David's plea in verse number one, the Bible says, Hear my voice, O God, and my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. And so in the very beginning, you're beginning to be introduced into what is on David's heart concerning the situation. He is calling out to the Lord. As he's calling out to the Lord, you begin to see in verse number one, his plea concerning what his voice has to say. He says, hear my voice. His plea is, is crying out to the Lord. As a matter of fact, as you walk through Psalm 64, David is going to begin to reveal that one of the great fears that he had was being fearful. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Let me put it to you this way. There are times whenever you are going to an amusement park with your children, and it might be the very first time that that child is riding a roller coaster. And the child is in the line, and that child is typically a very rambunctious child, but that child is as still as could be. And you begin to realize something's not right with them, what's going on with them. And they look at you and they say these words, I'm afraid that I'm going to be scared. And what they're saying is, I don't know what's coming, but I anticipate that I'm fearful. I don't want to do this, or at least I don't think I'm going to want to do this. David here in this situation, as he is calling out to the Lord, he is crying out to the Lord. He says, hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. 
He is pleading concerning the Lord to hear him, and he understands the Lord hears all things. He understands the Lord is not caught off guard by anything, but he is wanting the Lord to understand, Lord, I am crying out to you because I want to acknowledge you. Lord, hear my voice. But not only hear my voice, he says, preserve my life, and here it is, from fear of the enemy. Now, this statement, preserve, his plea to preserve, rather, not only just to hear. The psalmist wants the the support to hold him up in spite of the enemy, but not only to be there in spite of all of what is going on, but the, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord so that he would be calmed and he would be given peace so he would not be fearful. I remember growing up, and I cannot for the life of me remember the prayer. It's a very common prayer that a lot of uh, people pray whenever they're, um, you know, teaching their children to pray. But I, I can't, many of you will probably begin to quote it here in this moment. We would go over to my, my dad's house every once in a while, and my stepmother was a very religious person. Um, her lifestyle uh, said otherwise concerning being a Christian, but as far as uh, some of the things that she would try to do every once in a while, it began to, to scream religion. We would go over there every other weekend with my parents, and, or my, with my dad, and, and then we would go over for a few hours on Tuesday evenings and on Thursday evenings, just long enough, rather, just to, to have a meal, and then they would take us home. And growing up, I remember that on the weekends that we would spend there, she would walk us into the room, and we would be going to bed, and she'd sit there, and this was really when we were very young, probably six, seven, and I can't remember. I know it starts out, now I lay myself down to sleep or something like that. I pray my God my soul to keep or something like that. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You know the prayer, I'm sure. And I would pray that prayer, and she would pray, and, and, and I remember there is somewhere along the prayer, I don't know if it's an original part of it or if she added it, but something along the, the terms of not being fearful that night. And I, I remember praying that prayer as a child and many times thinking because as a, a child, there are times in our lives as children whenever you might have been afraid of certain times. Whether it was a new place you were staying, whether it was the circumstances that your family was going through, I remember one time we were staying with uh, her mother at the time, and me and my brother went over there to stay there, and we were out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I didn't hardly know this lady at the time, very sweet lady, uh, but as a young boy staying in a stranger's house in the middle of nowhere, I'll tell you right now, I was praying, Lord, just let it be daylight now. Please bring daylight to us, you know, because I was afraid. I didn't know what was going on, and, you know, it was one of those, those houses. It was a very old house, had the, the tin roof, and you heard every creak. And so every creak, you're, you know, paranoid about everything. The wind's blowing, and you're thinking, oh, man, my, I mean, your heart's beating. Just afraid. Psalmist is praying here. He says, preserve my life from fear of the enemy. He did not want to fear. I believe one of the great dangers that many Christians battle on a daily basis and a seasonal basis is the, the fear of what's next. Circumstances come and we're afraid that God might not get us through this time. And we might not say that, but oftentimes our actions say that. We're afraid that it might not go our way. We're afraid that the, what we want might not be the result that we get. But when you begin to realize that it's not about what we want, but just simply resting in the perfect will of God, then you're not fearful any longer. Because when you're resting in the perfect will of God, you are acknowledged, Lord, you make no mistakes. 
And the psalmist here is making this statement, Lord, hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. In verse number two, a plea to hide him. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. This statement, hide me, speaks of covering up, if you would. He goes on and says, hide me from what? In verse number one, he says, preserve my, my life from fear of the enemy. In verse number two, he says, hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the, uh, the workers of iniquity. So he is laying out all of what he is asking the Lord to do, and he's getting specific about it. We made mention of this uh, over the last couple of years that our God is a God of specifics. And when we go to the Lord in prayer, we ought to be praying in a specific manner. You want God to do a, a great work in your life. What do you mean by that? A great work concerning what? You want God to provide in this situation. What situation? Why do you need him to provide? You say, Lord, you know my finances and you know, Lord, I need you to come through. Well, what do you mean? And what do you, you begin to cry out to the Lord and get specific? He already knows all of these things. But it sure does give us peace when we bring it all to him. And he begins to calm us. He begins to say, hey, I'll take care of that financial need. I'll take care of that, that pain that you're dealing with. I'll take care of that health need. I'll take care of all of those things because I am. Man, what a calming effect begins to take over within our lives when we get specific about these things. So what is he talking about? He says, hide me from the secret counsel. And this statement, secret counsel, speaks of the plots that the enemies were beginning to think on and beginning to talk about. It begins to involve a covering, if you would. It begins to involve within this one statement, hide me from the secret council. He's talking about those who may have been talking about him behind his back. Those who were plotting to, to capture him, plotting to kill him, plotting to get a hold of him, plotting to ruin his life. And as you begin to realize in this psalm here, as he is laying all of this out, he's going to transition from his prayers. He is crying out to the Lord, to getting specific to the Lord, then to dealing with the enemy. But he cries out and he says, hide me from the secret counsel. Those who are plotting against me, those who are talking about me behind my back. But the word insurrection here also. He says, not only from the secret counsel, but go a step further from the insurrection. This is speaking of the revolts towards him. This is speaking of the attacks, rather, on his life. He says, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. Now, I love whenever you're walking through the life of David. David was a warrior. David was a very smart individual. David was a, a man after God's own heart. David was a, an individual of prayer. David was one who was willing to sell out. You obviously understand in David's life, he wasn't a perfect man. He made mistakes. As a matter of fact, that is why in this psalm right here, as he is going on, and he's going to make mention here in just a few minutes of them knowing what David has already gone through and knowing what David has already himself done as he makes mention of something that the enemy was already bringing up all of some of David's mistakes. And you know, that's a very powerful thing within our lives that we understand that the devil likes to bring up where we have failed, doesn't he? He likes us to feed on that. He likes us just to dwell on that. He doesn't want us dwelling on the blessings of God. He doesn't want us dwelling on, the, on the, the times in which we were serving the Lord and God was working. He doesn't want us dwelling on what God could do. He doesn't want us dwelling on what God is doing in our lives right now. He wants us dwelling on the failures within our lives. You know, failures hurt a lot. I, I, I love uh, sports. Many of you know that. And uh, there are certain athletes that you will come across that hate losing more than they love winning. 
They almost, they almost don't put a smile on their face whenever they're winning, but they get angry when they lose. And as you walk through the psalmist's life, you're going to begin to realize within his life that oftentimes that is, if we're not careful, that's how the devil wants us to live. He wants us to live in such a place where we don't even enjoy watching God win all these battles within our lives. No smile is fat. And if you're not careful in the Christian life, you won't enjoy the Christian life because you're so focused on all the failures within your life. Listen, God doesn't want us dwelling on our failures. God is aware that we're not a perfect people, and God is aware that he has a greater plan for us, but the devil likes to bring those things up. The psalmist here, as he is saying, the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, one of the things we realize about David is he's aware of his enemies. A very smart man, a man of uh, a warrior, if you would, a man of a very great intelligence. He was a prayer warrior. He was one that was willing to go to battle for the Lord. So he's aware of some things. David here in this psalm, as you walk through, he's aware of his danger. As he says, hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. He uses the statement secret counsel and the word insurrection because he is aware of his danger. He's aware of his foes. He's aware of those who are after him as he is making this statement, hide me from the secret counsel, notice this statement, of the wicked. He says now, in verse number two at the very end, of the workers of iniquity. In verse number one, he closes out and says, of the enemy. So David's aware that those who hate him, those who are after him, he's aware of them. He's aware of the danger. As you walk through this psalm, you'll begin to realize that he's aware of their message. Notice in verse number 3, as we see David's plea continuing on, he says, Who wet their tongues like a sword, and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. In my Bible, and I don't know if you mark things or you highlight or you write in your Bible, but in mine I have the word there in verse number three, three times marked with the color red so I can see who, what he is talking about, who he is talking about. In verse number four, two times he uses the word they. In verse number five, three times he uses the word they, and he also uses the word themselves. In verse number six, he uses the word they two times. He's aware of who his foes and his enemies are. And I share with you, you child of God, now is no time for us to stick our head in the sand and think that the devil's not willing and able and still seeking to devour us. Now is not the time to stick your head in the sand and think the devil is not going to try to attack your home. Now is not the time to stick your head in the sand and think that your children are not going to be attacked by the devil. The devil is always trying to destroy the child of God's life. And he is aware of this here. He's aware of their methods as he uses this statement, who wet their tongue like a sword, who bend their bows and their arrows that they may shoot in secret. Do they shoot at him, he says. Verse number five, they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. Verse six, they search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. He's aware of their methods. Verse number three, he's aware of their tongues. Notice what he says again. Who wet their tongues like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Even bitter words. That they may shoot in secret. At the perfect, suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Do you see the tongue there? He's aware of the tongue. He's aware of all of this. Nehemiah, I love going back to the Nehemiah, book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah was a very intelligent individual himself. You see, Nehemiah was aware that the enemy didn't like that he was doing a great work for the Lord. 
And so the enemy comes to Nehemiah and he's trying to discourage all the people as he is, is aware that the enemy is discouraging the people by bringing up all of what had already taken place. Oh, you people, you, why would you do this? And he begins to begin to highlight all of their failures. And so the enemy is trying now not to discourage the people, but now trying to discourage the leader. And as he is doing a great work, they begin to try to bring him down from that great work. And he gives this response. Why should the work cease whilst I come down to you? For I am doing a great work. And he goes on and begins to acknowledge that he was aware of their true intentions. You see, David's aware of all of these things. He's aware of their target. Their target was him himself. And so in verse number three, he is dealing with their speech. In verse number four, he's dealing with their, their secrecy and how sudden they speak and how sudden they want to, to, to get a hold of him. And that he's aware of all of these things that they're trying to do. As a matter of fact, as you walk through this passage of Scripture, in verse number four, the Bible says that they shoot in secret. The perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. And so in verse number four, you understand that the enemy, those who are doing the evil work, they're secret about it. You know, I'm not a hunter. I'm not necessarily, uh, I love being outdoors, but my, my form of outdoors is taking a, an ATV, taking a Jeep and mudding. Brother Zach and I would be different on that. Brother Zach likes to be in a deer stand. He likes to be hunting. He likes to be fishing. And so he's that type of outdoorsman. I do the other type of outdoorsman. I'll drive him, drop him off to hunt. I'll go to the trails, and I'll come back and pick him up if he needs me to. That's my type of outdoorsman. So I know nothing when it comes to hunting. As a matter of fact, there was a time when Brother Zach was over at, I believe, uh, Brother Scott Moore's house, and he was over there, and he was just uh, talking, and he went hunting one day, and I was talking to Brother Zach, and I asked him this question. Don't make fun of me. I don't hunt, all right? I said, did you catch anything? He said, he said, what did you just say? I said, do you catch anything? He said, no, and I'm not fishing, all right? <laughs> I, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't hunt, I don't fish, but I, I like being outside. I like being outdoors. But here's something I was reading about this whenever it comes to this, this statement that he is making. When he says this, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. In this context here, David is calling out the enemy, and this is what he is saying to them. He's saying, y'all are cowards. Because it takes no effort to hide in secrecy with a bow and arrow in your hand and wait for me to come. He not only begins to call them cowards as he is making this statement, but he goes on and he continues and says, even bitter words. You see, as they're hiding in secrecy, they're obviously hiding in secrecy because it is a safe act, if you would. So the enemy's always going to do something in inches, and as a matter of fact, even smaller than inches, a little bit at a time, until he begins to just get his foot completely in the door. And so as the enemy here, they're going to shoot their words, they're going to make their plot, they're going to do this in secrecy. But then the Bible goes on as he makes this statement that they may shoot in secret because it is a safe thing. He goes on and he says that they may shoot in secret because it is a, a secure thing, if you would. And it's not going to get them in danger. It's a, uh, it's a safe thing. It's secure. But then he says this in verse number four. It's a sudden thing. He says they're cowards. They're cowards. He says, suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. Many of you know I, I talk about uh, my children and I talk about them often in Sunday school class as well. But 
my children, my oldest two, are completely different. Jackson will tell on himself in a heartbeat. Holly will look at you straight in the face after you just watched her do something, and you ask her if she did it, and she'll look at you and say, I did not. That's just the difference between the two. And we, we learned this about them, and we were actually, as a matter of fact, we were headed to church this evening, and we have three dogs. We have uh, a small little miniature golden doodle, and then we have a, a, a larger golden doodle, and we have a, a husky Weimaraner uh, as well. And the husky Weimaraner and the, the larger golden doodle, they, they love to play outside a lot more, and we're currently moving and, and, and transitioning and all that. And and so I don't necessarily have all of the trash set up in the sense of how I can get everything in the back of the house or whatever the case might be. And so we have a 18-month-old who uses the bathroom rather frequently. So we usually put it in a Walmart bag. And there was a, a spot that we were putting those out of the way. And we were making sure that they were compiled and I was going to take care of them later. Well, my daughter thought it would be a wise idea to set those on the front porch. And uh, many of you, by your hands going over your mouth, you already know what's happened. And so the UPS driver pulls up today, and he's dropping something off, and he's, he's happy. I said, hey, man, he sa I said, how are you? He said, man, nothing, man, just living the dream. He said, what about you? I said, oh, just about to kill a couple dogs, just about to kill a couple dogs, because they tore every single one of them diapers up. So we got in the vehicle. I walk in the house, and... Just got done cleaning all those up, and I told Kelly, I said, listen, I said, we can't put those out on the, on, the, on the deck. She says, I didn't put those out on the deck. I said, okay, we're the kids. Well, they're taking naps right now. I said, okay. So I'm, you know, at this point, and you know this, whenever you're having to clean something up that was already nasty, you're having to clean it up again, it, it's a little annoying. So she looks at me, she says, I sense, I, I feel like you're in a mood. I said, I am in a mood. I am in a mood. And so I get in the, I get in the van tonight, and I, I asked Jackson. I said, Jackson, did you set the diapers out on the front porch? He said, no, I didn't set the diapers on the, on the front porch. I said, okay. I said, Holly, did you set the diapers on the front porch? She says, uh-uh, I didn't set the diapers on the front porch. I said, Holly, did you set the diapers on the front porch? She goes, well, I, I might have. I said, Holly, I love you, but if you ever do that again, you will be going to your day-day's house and not staying with me any longer. Do not put the diapers there. But as I began to think about what she was doing, and I began to think about just the, the, the nastiness of it, the filth of it, the frustration of it, and how that she could so easily just lie just like that. Naturally, our sin nature is when we're in a pickle, we just... We want to get out of it. We want to lie. Well, the psalmist here, as he is highlighting the enemies here, he is saying this in verse number four. They may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him. And notice this word, this statement. This is where it all comes when I'm talking about lying. Fear not. They have no guilt about it. They have no shame about it. They have no problem with it. Can I share with you, that's the world we're living in today. Lies upon lies upon lies, and there's no fear of it. As a matter of fact, that is why many Christians, if we're not careful, we don't blush over sin any longer. As a matter of fact, we're not even a phase by sin any longer. 
There are times whenever you might hear a song and it's just full of filth. And at one point in time, you were blushing over that because how could I be in the presence of something so vile? But now when you hear it, it's just natural. You kind of go along with, oh, that's, that's just the times we're living in. Well, why aren't we standing out then? Why aren't we being a peculiar people? Why are we making a difference? He says right here, they shoot at him and fear not. But not only do you see this concern in their lives, in verse number five, he says they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They go on and they encourage themselves and they feed off of each other, spreading the lies, the rumors. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see this? So David is outlining everything within his heart and everything that is on his mind concerning the evil that his enemy in turn is desiring to take place in David's life. He says, I'm aware of all of this. And I love this statement that is made in verse number seven. But God. Can I share with you, the enemy thinks they've got it good, don't they? But God. The enemy thinks they've got everything worked out. They've got the greatest plot known to man. They've got all the lies lined up. They've got it all planned in such a way where they're going to get a hold of those who are righteous. They're going to really get a hold of all of the discouragement. They're going to throw it at the the psalmist here. And he says right here in verse number 6, they search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them in the heart is deep. But number two, we see David's defender. The Bible says in verse number seven, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded and they shall make their own tongue fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. In this verse right here, he is making reference to the punishment that they're going to experience. And he is going going on to outline that, yes, it is going to be a sudden thing when they try to attack the psalmist. It's going to be a safe thing when they attack the psalmist. It's going to be a a secure thing when they attack the psalmist. But he started out the psalm crying out to his God in a plea as he says, hear my voice, preserve my life, hide me. And in verse number seven, he has the confidence that his God, all of a sudden, in verse number seven, he says, but God shall shoot them at them with an arrow. Notice this statement that he makes, because he's playing off of what he's already aware of what the enemy is throwing at him. He says, suddenly shall they be wounded. Not only is he aware that the enemy is trying to make him endure some pain suddenly, but he is going on to say, as they attempt to do so, my God will be present. My God will defend me. And suddenly they will, in turn, experience what they intended for the psalmist to deal with. He says right here, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. Not only suddenly shall they be wounded, but that word wounded speaks of not only the sudden effect that will take place, but it also speaks of the suffering that they will experience. It's not just a a little scratch on the knee. It's not just a little cut on the hand. No, this wounding is a suffering that they will endure. He goes on and says in verse number eight, so shall they make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. He's speaking of what they're going to experience, their words speaking concerning their lives. And he says, all that see them Shall flee away. So now they're experiencing separation. I close with this this evening here in just a moment. I want to share this story to outline what was taking place right here concerning the separation. Because all of what they were trying to do to David, they themselves were having to experience. Whenever I was in middle school, I can't remember what grade my brother would have been in. When I was in eighth or ninth grade, I want to say I was in eighth grade. He might have been in fifth or sixth grade. 
my brother is the one out of the two of us who would theoretically have a temper. And he would be the one that would get himself in trouble with the things that he would say sometimes, and it would be how he would respond. I was always the one picking and pushing those buttons, waiting for my parents to get him whenever he began to respond the wrong way. My parents quickly found that out. And and I remember one time we had gotten off the school bus. We were walking. Uh, we might not have even been on the school bus. We might have just walking from home because I, our middle school at the time when we moved to Georgia was not far away. But I remember that in this one occasion, my brother and another young man had been fighting. And it was, it was one of those where you had a, a mixed group of, of ages. You had 8th graders, 7th graders, 3rd graders, 5th graders. I mean, you had a whole bunch of us. And my brother and another individual were, were arguing and fighting. And anyway, they began to, to, to tussle for just a few moments. Then they got up, and it was kind of one of those things where we just said, y'all quit, you know, it's, it's done with. Well, my brother proceeds as we're all walking, and we're about to, to pass you know, these apartment complexes at the time where we were living, my brother goes and he punches the, the individual in the back and then he takes off. The separation begins to take place to a degree. But we had a gentleman, we had two families that lived in the, the area. One was uh, one boy by the name of Tremel that we grew up with. Tremel was a great basketball player and he lived in the apartment complexes. We would occasionally see his family from time to time, but not really that often. Every once in a while we'd go over there. But there was another man by the name of Tito that lived in the, the apartment complex. And Tito's mom was that mom that she just didn't play games. And uh, all of this was taking place and Tito's mom came out. And when Tito's mom began to say, y'all knock it off, we all just took off running. It, it was one of those, like, every child in the apartment complex was Tito's mom's child, whether you wanted to be or not. She just didn't put up with it, that, that type of situation. And as you think about what is taking place in the psalm here, he says in verse number 8, So they shall make their own tongue to fall on themselves. They thought they had it figured out. They thought they had the psalmist right where they wanted him. They had told the lies. They began to plot against him. It was going to be a safe thing. It was going to be a secure thing. It was going to be a secret thing. It was going to be a sudden thing. But in verses 1 and 2, he says, hear my voice, preserve my life, and hide me. So in verse number 8, at the very end, he says, so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves, and all that see them shall flee away. It's one of those situations that you may have encountered growing up where someone was trying to pick on another individual and it kind of backfired on them. The very next words that come out of our mouths when that type of thing happens is, you got what you deserved. The psalmist says, there's going to be a scattering. They're going to flee away. In verse number nine, he says, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider of his doing. I love verse number 10 because in verse number 10, you see the psalmist's pleasure in his praise as he says this. The righteous shall be glad. Oh, the joy that is found. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him. And all the upright in heart shall do it. Can I share with you tonight that we are living in a world where we understand that there is much hate against the children of God. Christianity 
If you claim to be a Christian, oftentimes you're ridiculed. If you take a stand for God, you're mocked. There are those that might try to make you stumble. There are those that are going to try to discourage you. The enemy, the devil himself, is going to try to defeat you. He's going to try to attack you. But can I share with you, the psalmist says this, Lord, hear me. Lord, preserve me. And Lord, hide me. In all the midst of what was taking place in his life, he says, I understand and I'm aware of what the enemy's plotting against me. I'm aware of what they're saying against me. I'm aware of the circumstances before me. But God. Can I share with you, our God is a God that is not caught off guard by any of the things that are taking place in any one children's life. He understands where you're at. He understands the enemy. He understands the battle. He understands, and he is aware of all things. And if you would just cry out to him and say, Lord, help me not to be fearful any longer. When the midst of all of the, the struggles of your life, the problems that you're enduring, the trials that you're going through, you'll begin to realize my God is still there. Can I encourage you tonight? Have faith in God to bring you through and always to be there. Lord, hear me. Lord, preserve me. And Lord, hide me. Because all that is taking place, but God will take care of me.